Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sareka Thanendra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less-than-transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside. Because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers, as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today, I speak to literary agent Nell Andrew. Nell joined RML in 2020. She previously worked as an agent at Peters, Fraser and Dunlop for 11 years and prior to that at Macmillan Publishers. Nell represents an array of internationally best-selling and award-winning authors across both fiction and non-fiction. We spoke for nearly two hours and I'm sure we could have spoken for a lot longer. She's been on the publishing, agenting and has also become a published author in her own right, so is able to offer a unique view of the industry. We speak about her own persistence in publishing as well as how that persistence and drive brought her to a current love of agenting, even without the networks that others were privy to. We speak about the changes, however fast or slow, in the industry and what she feels the difference is now that she's in a more senior position. Nell has written many articles to help create more transparency around the role of agents as well as the industry as a whole. Some of these will be linked in the show notes. Nell is a joy to speak to and I can see why so many of her authors speak proudly and fondly of her as well as why many writers hope to one day be on her list. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did recording it. Hi Nell and welcome to Make It Make Sense. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for Hello. making time to speak to me today. I know it's such a busy week because of London Book Fair. Um, but I appreciate the time you've made. And I normally start by asking all our guests what they wanted to be when they were younger. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, what did I want to be? Well, the first thing I wanted to be was an actress. And then my uh, very unpleasant father said no, because um, he was like, first of all, actress is a prostitute. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> which I think is your really interesting insight into my childhood. Um, uh, and but actually, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine today because for a really long time, I thought I was going to be a lawyer and I really wanted to go into family law. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm really glad that I didn't because I think that she was like, I think you would have been great. I'd have really wanted you to be on my team. I said, yeah, but I think I would have become really evil. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I really would have wanted you to be on my team because you'd yeah. be evil for me. And I think <laughs> I I kind of recognised that I had this real obsession for advocacy and Mm -hmm. wanting to stand up for other people and particularly because of my background I wanted to go into family law and um messy dysfunctional narratives and sort of weed that out but Mm. there was also a part of me that kind of recognized that I would probably get quite maligned and twisted by that Mm -hmm. um but it's it is kind of natural in some ways that I became an agent because a lot of those advocacy skills transfer mm. across just with sort of less evil twistedness <laughs> and it's still I mean it, it as an agent you're still impacting then what's being put out into the world and you're advocating yeah. in a different way in in terms of the content that we as readers are able to receive so yeah it's definitely a different route but there's there's still that yeah. of advocacy I think but I do actually also represent some lawyers and, and have rep- or former lawyers who've then wrote okay. fictional and, and legal memoir. And I think what I found really fascinating about that is that they always say that it's about framing a narrative. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, it's an act of persuasion, like yeah. creating a narrative that kind of gives the level of tr- a truth, hopefully in the light that you want. And actually, I think that that's sort of also why I'm really was drawn to narratives and, and stories because that's mm-hmm. essentially kind of what publishing is mm-hmm. you know exploring those narratives and advocating for those narratives and 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 expanding on a wider truth about how we live in the world so um it's uh it's interesting that kind of inhabiting of various roles that I think mm-hmm. I've always been drawn to 
And so what led you from <laughs> the law side of it? How did you switch then to publishing? Because it's not a, a natural yeah. leap. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, I think that I just followed my, it's going to sound very twee, but I, I basically followed my heart that mm -hmm. I, I kind of felt I could see the path with law. I, I was doing an English and creative writing degree at Warwick and my thought was oh, I'll go and do a law conversion course and it's you know thought about it and researched it and then I sort of thought actually like no like what I really love are books and stories and I just mm. I wasn't done with it yet and so I I applied for a creative writing master's at Trinity College Dublin and I was lucky enough to get in and for a really long time I thought I'm going to be a writer and like, that's really what I want to do I you know I really wanted to be an author and that's what I had been kind of my dream mm -hmm. for a really long time I never sort of when you asked what it was I wanted to be when I was younger I never sort of thought of it as like I'll be a writer full-time that was yeah. never kind of uh, you know that ambition but I just really wanted to be published and know what, mm -hmm. it, what that kind of felt like and so it, it just felt I just felt really really cosmetically drawn I guess mm. uh, for want of a better word to publishing and I thought I just had to be involved with writers and authors and initially I thought maybe it was because I wanted to be one and then after I achieved that actually I realized actually I prefer being on the other side of it I think it's like the difference between wanting to be in front of the camera and being behind the camera and I mm -hmm. realized actually my greatest happiness and, and um, skills came behind the camera that's where mm. I derived a huge amount of pleasure and joy Mm -hmm. but I kind of needed to go through that process first yeah that makes sense and there's a lot I mean you you put out a lot of information and articles and there's lots that we can find online about your preferences and um, I came across yeah. a really great article in terms of your persistence in publishing which I'll leave the link in the show notes um, oh. and part of what you spoke about was coming into publishing despite not having any network um, and any connections can you yeah. tell us a little bit about how that was and how you were able? <laughs> <laughs> Do we have the time? <laughs> oh my gosh! I think. Oh, do you know what? It's so it's ridiculous. I think this is like back in the day. God, this is going to yeah. show you how old I am. <laughs> this was kind of back in like two thousand and seven, mm. two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, and I I think about it now. I don't know if very much has changed. I really hope that it has, but it still feels kind of obscure. The difference is that we have social media, which is why I try mm. to retweet a lot of um, uh, job adverts when I see them kind of come up. But again, I feel like unless you know who to follow, mm. how would you know those things when they come up? Okay. So we it, we are, it's a very kind of weird, slightly closed island. It's, it's, it's bizarre. But um. I was determined, I was like, I really want to be involved with the written word. I love the written word and mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with books. And my favourite thing was to go into bookshops. And it used to just really piss me off, actually, that people were like, oh, you've done an English degree. What are you going to do be an English teacher? <laughs> and I was like, is, is that it? Is that, that is it, is it? The, the entire, you know, spectrum of the Western yeah. canon and, uh, you know, these kind of game-changing narratives that have influenced us in all kind of forms of life and touched all forms of culture. Mm. And all you can say to me is, do you want to be an English teacher? Not that there's anything wrong with being an English no. teacher. My English teacher no. was a huge influence on my life as well. Um, when I was at William Perkins, she was, uh, you know, she was one of the most important figures for me. Like, I can, I can, she saved me in so many mm. ways, her and my therapist. And, um, <laughs> and, so I, you know there's a huge level of credit there but I, I just found it incredibly reductive I, mm. I was I was a bit perplexed by the fact that that was what was seen and maybe it's because publishing is still seen as a bit of a strange space like if I get into the back of the cab and someone says oh what do you do and I say I'm a literary agent they're like what's that if you oh. say editor they're like oh yeah no I kind of I sort of know what that is yeah um yeah so I guess it was sort of persistence mm -hmm. um I kind of went on the Guardian. <laughs> the Guardian used to have like this um like like page of sort of like employment and things, and I would be, like, oh. go into publishing and media. Okay. And 
Oh, um, I remember. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, I mean, we're literally like, like, oh, back in the day, publishing yes. media. Um, and I would kind of look on it, but I was like, well, this hasn't really got anything like that I want to do. I wanted to go and work mm. in the toilet. I wanted to go and work in bits. It's like, I want to work for a trade publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, there was lots of academic publishing jobs out there. And actually, I'm really glad I didn't go for this because what is a huge mistake, well, was back then, is that people would go into academic publishing thinking you could transfer across. Mm. And you it's really hard because they're mm. two completely different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Trade publishing is a completely different way of publishing from academic. And mm-hmm. actually, I, I would see candidates get stuck in that space thinking, oh, I'm, you know, there's a way to kind of leap across and it would be much much tougher Mm. um so I eventually thought well you know sod it I I was I'd moved back to London from Ireland I was living with my fiance in a tiny tiny um flat in North London that we kind of scraped the money together for and I was temping left right and center Mm. and I used to go and stuff envelopes in the queue (laughs) literally would do mail merchant stuff envelopes in the queue and I would apply for internships at mm-hmm. publishing houses I went and looked on the back of the books and I was like oh Penguin I know that one Bloomsbury I know that one what's what's the W and N <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would basically go and look up their website and I would I'd say right you know at the time people used to advertise their internships and work experience mm-hmm. there most of the time it was unpaid like mm-hmm. genuinely unpaid they're mm-hmm. like I'll pay for your train ticket and it's like oh okay well great but I can't really sort of live no, on that so my my thing was just it was just sheer bloody mindedness I think mm. I'm just I mean I'm an exceptionally stubborn person mm-hmm. I was born with this affliction to be like phenomenally obdurate when it comes to things I really want my son has it it's an absolute mm. pain in the ass I've got <laughs> to be honest with you um and so I was just like right I will go and I will earn money to keep me going and um then I will take these internships mm-hmm. and I got onto the kind of work experiences um and I just applied so basically mm-hmm. I would just scan through all of the websites for any jobs that they advertised and I remember finding a job in like November 20, 2007 and it was a job as an international sales assistant at Pan Macmillan and I thought Great, Pam McMillan, huge publisher. I'll go in, I'll go into sales, maybe I'll try and you know scan my way up through editorial or something. I was like, I just need to get, I just need to get a foot in the door. Mm. Um, and at the time, and I, I got the job, which I was really shocked by. I started next December, and I remember asking my then line manager, um, I think his name was Stuart Dwyer, um, who was really lovely. And I said to him, well, you know, kind of, why did you offer me the job? And he said, because it's like, it was one of the few interviews I've ever been in where you actually started interviewing us. Oh. <laughs> like, I think it was just that kind of working class hustle background yeah. Yeah. where you, I was very fortunate due to my education to be exposed to worlds where you could see bigger and better opportunities necessarily mm-hmm. the background you came from mm-hmm. but what I did retain from my upbringing was a sense that nothing was going to be handed to me on a plate mm-hmm. and so I had to really think outside the box I had to be really kind of panoramic I had to mm-hmm. be a bit crafty and actually it was really kind of fascinating that kind of hustle because I think it. I think it's a huge credit to, to people outside of the, the industry to, to to be able to do that. There wasn't, you know, when I came in, it was kind of oh, how did you get the job? Oh, I wasn't my godmother or my aunt or mm. a friend of mine. It was really all, you know, we mm. went to Oxbridge together. I was. It was really instant. And I used to joke that like publishing was just the middle class white Emma's. Mm. Yeah. Everyone was middle class. <laughs> everyone was white. Everyone was called Emma. They were usually blonde. Um, it's much less like that now mm-hmm. but you know it was really it really kind of had that and and then I, I was I felt really like a massive source out because people like how mm. do you get this job and it's like I died <laughs> um I went to an interview mm. and I won it on credit had that it's like oh that's it it's like um yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know I'm not saying that I was the only person who kind of did that but it's not I mean it just there just weren't many people mm. that I met who had uh, those kind of stories I think now it's, it's definitely different I think publishing is much more forward-facing it kind of goes out to 
there's lots more schemes there are a lot more kind of like mm. avenues um it's it's way more like open and expansive mm-hmm. than it was at the time like people actually get paid to do internships and things now mm. um whereas you know it's kind of been back in the day but I I I do sort of look back on it and I am a bit like how did that happen also mm-hmm. just in the magpies I'm gonna have to delete it I'm sorry I don't kill it when I put it I'm so sorry I can't do it can't do it can't do it you can edit it out but I cannot do it it's, now, well, it's audio only but now I wish we also went live with video because that... I cannot cannot not do it like this is the this is, this is the thing. so on my yeah. on my notes to you I should have emailed close all curtains so that you're not distracted by my <laughs> Okay, then tell us about and that. Like, yeah. I didn't actually know what agenting was mm-hmm. I got into publishing. And I will say that when I was working at publishing, agents didn't have the best rights. But I remember talking to Edison, I was like, oh, have you heard about you know, what's an agent? She's like, I would never go to the dark side. And I was like, oh, what is this? I was oh. more intrigued by it. I was like, what is yeah. this? <laughs> what is that dark you know, side? the evil twisted yeah, version of me yeah. that would have been like a shit hot family lawyer. Yeah. As opposed to kind of like, oh, I'm so glad I'm, I'm on the side of light and light. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Andrew Kidd was an editor, publisher at Picador. Really, really um, brilliant. And he left to go and become an agent at mm-hmm. Aiken Alexandra at the time. And I was really shocked because he was, you know, he to me, he had the dream job. He was publishing people like Alice Diebold and he was, you know, Picador was mm. massive literary, you know, powerhouse, like still is. And he was, you know, top of the trees. And he was leaving editing to go and become an agent. Mm-hmm. And I I again working class hustle, I contacted him and I said, Look, you know, kind of what is this? job of which you speak and could you tell me a bit about it he was so mm-hmm. kind he invited me to his offices and we sat down and he talked to me for an hour and he was like look the, the reason that he left is like there comes to a point in trade publishing where he's like I just just doing too many meetings but the mm. thing I love which is books and authors I'm not doing enough of mm. and he said you know aging is the cold face it's really hard um you have to live and die by your decisions but it is your decision and I think mm-hmm. I'd I'd been able to sit in on a couple of acquisition meetings where I've seen kind of people literally pull the rug out from underneath editors where you know let's we pitch a book and then someone would say I do actually remember someone said oh isn't it just a bit too Irish you know Irish was like considered exotic at the time which make which makes you understand why there were no black people in publishing like Irish um now you know obviously with Sally really it's completely different Uh, and I remember kind of thinking well who cares like this the Mm -hmm. editor said they want to buy the books why aren't you supporting that as opposed to you know asking questions typical only child like like massively autonomous Mm. in every way and I he it really appealed to me even though it it seemed incredibly fraught with risk he's like if you don't sell you don't make any money it's like oh that's a bit awkward he's like but if you do sell like you live and die by your taste it's this you know you get to decide you pick that person up mm-hmm. it's entirely down to you but also it is entirely down to you like there's a flip side to that and something about it just really really spoke to me about mm-hmm. I guess being a bit of a lone wolf about being able to take risks about trusting your gut um and also money not gonna lie mm-hmm. Mm. um because I you know I was on a salary of 18 grand we were on like housing benefit because my fiance was doing the masters at Mm -hmm. UCL and we couldn't pay the rent and um and the to be an assistant editor at the time would give you the grand pay rise of 21,000 and uh in order to become an editor basically sort of says you literally have to die I mean honestly someone had to die for people to move up it was that or that they left it was not it was a very stagnant progression mm. um and I was just like oh hang on a second how does anyone make any money how does anyone do anything mm. how does anyone like I don't want to be yeah it's like I don't want to be 30 and still be like oh can I pay for salad like it, <laughs> I just don't want to do that I've done that my whole life I just I I need to know that there's kind of an end point yeah and he said look the truth is that 
you can make a lot of money, but you can make no money. It totally depends. Because all mm. I'll say is that, you know, the agents of J.K. Rowling, Mercy Billionaire, <laughs> and the publisher of J.K. Rowling has a nice house. And I said, okay, <laughs> cool. I'll go there. Um, uh, that was, that's who's good to me. And then I started applying for jobs for an agent. And mm. I also started de- applying to do readers' reports for agents, for smaller mm-hmm. agents. Okay. You had to all reports that they pay like I think about 20 quid for mm-hmm. I was such a little hustler <laughs> I look back on it now and I was like you I mean I was such a little thing yeah. back in the day and I, I I really I feel like I was born at the wrong time because I think now I'd be such a, what, a slasher like you know yeah. like not like publisher slash blogger slash yeah like <laughs> agent only I mean I'd be like kind of all of those things but I you just you did what you had to do yeah and then I found a job for PSD at Caroline Michelle's agent assistant mm-hmm. um and I had no idea who she was and then I applied for the job mm. and I wow. never do that in the background with PFD either I was complete okay. this is actually one of the good things about not being in the network I had no idea, no idea. I was yeah. completely out of the drama didn't know didn't yes. care didn't think about it just went for any job that seemed in London yeah. and, and you know good whatever like anything mm. so I was limited by my kind of knowledge inside yeah. it. Actually, I was incredibly naive, and I feel like that naivety really helps me. Yeah, I, I think no expectations. I think that makes so much sense because that also kind of comes part and part with hustling in that sense that you mm. often do that, and you're you're driven to do that when you don't really know what the boundaries are. So you can mm. just yeah you can just because you need to and there's a reason for your drive and reason for the hustle you you will just go out and do anything contact anyone and ask for an hour meeting with someone in order to find out exactly what agenting is about and um I think it, it's it's uh, really telling that those two things go hand in hand that you don't know mm-hmm. you you don't put any boundaries on um, no. your aspirations as well but it's clear that you you did hustle from when you were younger it, I don't want to assume that you're at the epitome of where you want to be with your career, but do you still feel like you um, step into that kind of energy of working Hustling. hard? And yeah, now? Oh my God, I'm always working hard. Yeah. I think we always work hard. I don't think you ever feel safe. I think if you felt, well, you know, some agents probably, you know, with the level of talent they have, probably were like, you know, I've, I've had the lightning mm. strike, I've had my. Um, phenomenon mm. um, but I definitely don't ever feel safe I'm always looking for like the next thing and the next mm. thing and the next thing and I'm not sure that I ever necessarily will but I think that's a good thing because mm-hmm. I think you are only as good as your last deal mm-hmm. or maybe your next deal actually I think maybe that's a better way to me you, you that happened in the past mm. and it's like okay well what's next mm-hmm. and you're constantly thinking not just about the deal but the clients where they are okay that book went well what's happened to their next book okay mm-hmm. that deal went well but what's happened to the next deal like it's my husband's always like you you never enjoy you never sit and enjoy anything that celebrate anything and I was like no it goes it goes like a deficit I go into debt <laughs> I go into like a debt like how much of the debt and then what I want is to come back to zero yeah I never quite go like tipping into the black it's just like catching myself up from the red mm. um and I think but I think the what it I think I I am able to do I guess still which is part of the hustle maybe mm. um is I try not to limit myself I kind of unfurled myself I'd sort of been like right I've gone as far as I could go in this place it's time mm-hmm. to learn something something new you know I started doing film and television options um which was amazing I started doing kind of screenwriting like um started some my authors like it mm-hmm. it never it was never kind of a sense of okay you can only do this you should mm-hmm. only do this I think I've always got the uh, the aspiration of why why should it just be this? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we can do a bit more. Mm. Like if I if I'm going to limit myself, it's going to be because I thought, do you know what? That's not my expertise. That's not my wheelhouse, and I mm. don't want it to mm. be. I'm not. Other people can do that better than me. I, I don't feel like that's where I want to go. Mm-hmm. But not saying I shouldn't explore that because that's not what agents do. 
I think it's constantly defining what I want to do as an agent and what I want to be part of and what I want to explore and mm-hmm. challenging myself because otherwise it's just dull it's really boring mm. you know I mean that's one of the great things about being an agent is it is so variable mm. and actually I, I just my my life my career has been year to year I, I never know every every new year like clockwork I'll turn around and be like I've no idea what's going to happen this year mm. no idea and I'll go through my raging list of anxieties that, that go from maybe I'm going to sell this again maybe I'll lose all of my clients maybe the industry will implode um maybe this is the year I finally give it up and I go and retire and do something else my husband's always like what else are you going to do I was like I don't know I just like I don't know there must be something it's like what what is it you can barely like take time off to like you know just sit on the sofa what is it I'm like I don't know maybe this will be the year I figure it out it's um I, yeah it's, it's bizarre the kind of I, I am slightly obsessed with books the, the awful mm. thing is I have turned my passion which is yeah. literature into my career yes. so it's a really kind of it's a it's a real clusterfuck actually in so many ways because I can't when I'm like what do you want to do to chill out it's read a book yeah but then also what am I doing to work it's read a book okay. but I genuinely am kind of like that's what I think about like my my idea of like you know treating myself is to walk into a bookshop so I'm just I really feel like I need to learn how to swim or something I need like <laughs> I genuinely feel like I need to be a bit more expansive and why some, get to kind of <laughs> something where you can't bring a book into it like a pool of well water. I just feel like I need to be rounded as a person like I just feel really kind of like boring like I can't play a musical instrument and I know what I can do I mean I'm just I'm so limited in terms of, there was an apocalypse there's very few like skill sets that I can bring forward that and in paper but it's also I mean there's also you know the other side of it where people are desperate to find something that they love and to work in something that they love and you've done that you you love books and you love being around books so it's you've even if it sometimes feels overwhelming that you're constantly in it it's also there's a lot of people that don't have that passion and aren't able to find it the only awful thing is though and I'm sorry as I say this but it's so true like for me there is very little that gives me that kind of hit mm. the way a really good book does mm. that moment when you open it and you're like oh my god I love this this yes. is good and then you're still in you're like this is so good and then you get that kind of like I don't want to lose this I don't want to and this is going too fast yeah and then you the kind of grief when it finishes and you want to talk to someone about it I mean like it, that kind of I need to just sit and the world stops yeah that kind of very voluntary paralysis Mm. where it feels like you are a fixed point and everything else is just a blur but in that moment in that fixed point there is a clarity and there is an acknowledgement of something bigger and more divine than you Mm. I find that very there are very very few experiences that top that for me mm. and I always feel replenished yeah somehow as a human being afterwards I feel a bit bigger I feel a bit mm. more, like more open I feel a bit more unfurled I feel feel a bit more complete it's, mm-hmm. it's very um that's probably why the obsession is is there and I'm not saying that has to happen with every book you know, some books are just mm. god damn it they're just really good fun yeah I'm not, I'm not looking for kind of you know that existential moment every time but when it happens it's oh, it's just absolutely it's magic what was the last book that uh, made you feel that way what that I worked on or mm, that let, um maybe let's do that you didn't work on <laughs> <laughs> let's not anger the clients <laughs> let's not anger the clients um actually the last bit that I did that was brown girls Oh, I haven't. I, I've, oh that's my on god! My reading list. I sat down in um, we call it the pink room. It's like a spare room. I painted bubblegum pink. <laughs> Why? And I said because I can and True. I have. So and you should. <laughs> and I did. Whatever. Anyway, I, I sat down and I don't know what was happening. I think he was downstairs with my son, and I had taken like an hour to myself. And I remember opening book and I started it and I just it was one of those moments where I was like I so wish this had been published when I was 15 mm. I so wish that 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 ability to kind of see and speak to the experience of being a 
girl, mm-hmm. to be a woman of color, living those kind of lives, that navigating those relationships with your past, with yourself, with your ancestors with your mm. families with expectations mm. all the way through you know your life mm. I just it was it captured and crystallized it so brilliantly with mm-hmm. humor and pathos and love and it was just it felt like a love letter to to every brown girl ever out there mm-hmm. and I and I was like god you know the person and version of myself that was like relaxing my hair when I was like 15 mm. and, and like and like breaking off the ends and was so desperate mm. to to look and fit in the model of womanhood which at that time was you know sex in the city and friends but you know not me mm. not people who look like me mm. um not kind of people from my background it was it was so kind of like polarized it was like either you were of that world or you were of this world but that Mm -hmm. blending of the two just just did not quite Mm. ever come together and and this so it was so unapologetic it was so unapologetic Mm -hmm. um and I I thought I it was a phenomenal piece of writing and I was like very it was powerful Mm. that's the best way of putting it there's such power in it and I had like a, a moment of like gratitude that I was able to read it and grief that something like that didn't exist when I was younger. Mm. Um, but also a real kind of celebration that it was here now mm-hmm. and that this was kind of the shift yeah. in which we were moving. Um, and that these voices who were so brilliant, mm. so talented, so like confident to be themselves and not code switch or downplay or finesse like just raw visceral truth of that mm. I thought oh my god it was just it was wonderful, it was wonderful I think I think that's a I don't know if everyone if you're from an underrepresented background I think you know exactly what you're talking about right now mm. when you don't need to um read books where everything is explained to you and it's uh, an author has to kind of be over expositional with their with their Mm -hmm. meanings and their work and I think a lot I've read I think in the last two years I've tried to read as many authors from non-white backgrounds as possible Mm -hmm. and I feel like when you do that you feel like the industry Mm -hmm. has changed so much and there's so much out there and it's it's you know, what I wanted to read when I was younger, but actually I'm just being really intentional about who I'm reading and Mm. the stories that I'm consuming. And there's still a lot to change, but it is, uh, uh, there is some sort of, in that isolation of reading a book already to be able to read something that you then can see yourself in and reflect back. It, it, uh, yeah, I, I I'm not able to always put that into words, but it's something very special to be able to have that because I'm 40 and I definitely didn't, I, I can't even remember what I was reading when I was younger, but it wasn't, I don't think I saw any character that resembled myself. God, no. Yeah. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> 37. There was no, no way. I mean, like maybe other people out there were able to kind of see. Yeah. Things more than that, but you know, I would. It was just not. It was. Yeah. It was. It was exclusively a, a certain class. It was white mm-hmm. middle class. It was mm-hmm. white middle class, and that was it. Mm. it was not working class. There was no kind of like sugar bane. Mm. Or if it was, it was kind of I would call it trauma porn. It was almost like yes, yes. Let you know, kind of Irish nunneries and yeah. um, and and famines, and it was just like yeah. oh my god, like can we not? everything was kind of had to be seen through a lens of trauma right yeah. and it was always seen as kind of rather than seeing a, a person or a culture or a lifestyle through themselves in mm. all their intricacies and their complexities and their good and their bad it was mm. it was always seen as a comparison as an otherness to what should be which this mm-hmm. is the standard and this is something you're not quite reaching that standard mm. why aren't you quite reaching that standard what happened to you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where is your pain um which I think is kind of one of the reasons that like I've been saying recently in terms of you know what I've been looking for is I just don't want to I don't want to read about I don't want to read through things through a lens of trauma at the mm-hmm. moment like from a cultural kind of space like 
I'm I'm good with that. I just mm. I think that's what I love about brown girls is like we're not going to shy away from the complexity of our experience, but mm. we're also not going to be defined by it either. It's like mm. yeah, thank you very much. It's a very rounded yeah. narrative as yes. opposed to kind of we can only be seen through this particular prism of history. Mm. That's very I'm done with it. Yeah. Really, I've seen it. I've read it. I I feel like there's very that there are very few narratives that can add something new to that conversation for me right now mm. um i'm good basically <laughs> okay well i'm, I'm definitely good. i'm definitely pushing brand girls up to the top of the pile because that's me um, too yeah, I yeah. Loved it. well that's great um just to go we've touched we've touched on this a little but um mm. we have spoken about how publishing is predominantly a white middle class industry and i'd like to quote an article that you um, yes it's not that long ago it was 2019 (laughs) it's not long that long ago but I just want to hear how you feel things have changed from what you said in 2019 to 2022 now Uh Uh Um, it was a comment that you made when you were asked I guess on the on diversity of publishing and you had responded saying I'm saying publishing should be what this country is which is a melting pot we shouldn't have to be a subset publishing reflects what's going on in society and we are not doing our duty because we are not reflective of society so we have touched on that a little bit but I wonder just from your experience what do you do you feel the same or do you feel there's change could it be faster 2019 to 2022 yeah what's that oh I sound a bit pissy I was a bit pissy actually. I was should have been I was, pissy. Yeah. I was rather pissy. Yeah. Um, I think I remember when that happened. I went to a diversity panel okay. conversation right. with a publisher that shall remain name. And it was like it was well intentioned, but mm. it just made me want to punch something. <laughs> I, I basically it was very well intentioned but I, was, but I was after I came out I just thought god it's so exhausting being around you people at this point mm-hmm. um because we talked about it was, it was like how do we you know get more white of color white from from diverse background mm. come in like what is it like what are we not doing what are we not publishing all those kind of things was like great very few people of color in the room possibly because there were that many to choose from or mm. maybe actually because they hadn't really done their research but fine um they asked a question where they said you know you know is that sort of starting young and I remember that one of the questions was you know is it because you know maybe there isn't a lot of kind of literacy advocacy among those kind of communities you know is it that they're not reading books from young age because they're not seeing themselves in it I just I I remember kind of just sitting there and I was like this is one of the good things about having a child actually Mm -hmm. there are lots of good things about having a child but it's one of the good things about being a working Mm mum and you just don't have time to dick around (laughs) you just don't have it your your patience is completely gone I was like I've been up since six o'clock I am really freaking tired I have not slept properly in two years I don't know next time I am going to sleep properly and I'm going to start this whole shit again and you're asking me the most dumb question and I'm trying to sat there like are you out of your mind just like and I just put my hands up and I went I come from the Caribbean we have a phenomenal rhetoric we have Mm. a phenomenal appreciation of language and culture and Mm -hmm. and a, a brilliant kind of you know oratorical way of being you cannot ask us a question without making a story we, mm-hmm. you say house in warning and you'll still be there 10 minutes later because we will have told you everything about ourselves our history and the people <laughs> side of us on the road we i think we have our own folklore we yeah. have our own myths we have our own traditions we read as like i read extensively as a child i wasn't the only person who read extensively as a child it's like mm. the reason we maybe don't come into this industry isn't because we don't see ourselves in it mm. because from books it's because you don't pay enough for us to want to come in mm. i think mm. i you've got to realize that for a lot of people you know people of color diverse backgrounds tend to exist in a lot of socioeconomic framework mm. in this country and if you are going to be in a family where they work their ass off to provide you with good educational opportunities and you get those educational opportunities, you can't then turn around to them at the end of university and say, thanks mum and dad for all of the debt. Mm-hmm. I'm now going to go and start earning less than you did. 
when you first started mm. with no prospects. Mm. I was like, that's what that is. And I was like, and also in terms of kind of coming into the industry and also in terms of writers, you know, publisher. Mm. Don't publisher. Mm. Go and look at your framework and see how many people you actually publish who come from these right. diverse backgrounds that you're speculating for. So where's the confidence for us mm. to want to come into this? It's like film, television, music. You want to find us? That's where we will be. Mm. And it's not because so we had the radio on more or the television <laughs> on more. True. Because they actually bothered to pay us. And even then, it's not great. So mm. it's like, if we're going to go into something where you can make money, that's what people will understand. So who makes, you literally like, well, who's ever made money doing writing a book? Yeah. It's a lightning strike. So that's what it was. So I was like, it's not mm. because you read. I was like, I cannot believe you're asking that question. So perfect. Like, do yeah. you actually think it is because we don't, we're not interested in books? Mm. It kind of went really quiet. And I was like, <laughs> is this what this is? This was 2019, though. So I was just, this, I would say that I don't believe that that question would be asked now. <laughs> I, I really don't think that question would be asked that now. Would be, yeah. I, yeah. I think that there is enough self-awareness now to be like, that's a really stupid question. Mm. Mm. And that's a really reductive, insulting question. And um, I feel like that kind of, that is sort of one of those kind of like changes. But I think it was very much of its time that it was like, how do we do this? Mm. How do we this? fix it? What is this thing <laughs> over here that we need to kind of look at? And it's like, yeah. how can you go out and interact in society and just not, and not see, want to see that reflected back in? Mm. I think there's a lot more awareness. There's a lot more initiatives. There's a lot more drives. Part of me is a little bit cynical about it, which is that, you know, how long will this last? Is this mm-hmm. a trend? Is this mm-hmm. meaning? Is this meaningful? Is this significant, or is this optics? Because mm. mm. optics is something I'm always very skeptical about because optics shift and change. Having said that, I think that that there's a scurrilousness happening, which is that now that you let people from diverse backgrounds in, we're very much like you're not going to get rid of us that easily. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming in. We're, we've kicked that door open. But I think finally there's been kind of an awakening, which is that, oh, actually, this is our, our social framework is not made up the way that you think it is. And, and how mm-hmm. people come to books and how people come to stories is not the way that you think it mm. is. And actually, it is always around an algorithmic. And I, I also have to give a lot of kudos to younger generations, social yeah. media. I mm. think that, you know, when I was in starting publishing, there wasn't all the abilities to be as, as transparent. There wasn't... Um, a level of accountability mm. being held up yeah. to us. Yes. I call it accountability. Everyone talks about cancel culture. It's like not mm. I, I feel like that's it's that's been really kind of co-opted in a very, very mm-hmm. reductive and diminished way. Mm-hmm. What is happening is that there's finally a dialogue. What it has been before is that it's been publishing saying this, this, this mm-hmm. is this. And there's been no ability for writer reply. Mm-hmm. And now what is happening is people going, actually, no, it's not. It's not this. Mm. It's this. Mm. And this is how you need to be doing it. And instead, some people are not able to have that conversation. Mm. Some people are like, well, this shouldn't be a conversation. I should get to do what I want. It's like, you can do what you want, but you can't live mm. life without consequences. Mm-hmm. No one gets to give you that. And I think actually what publishing is waking up to finally is that there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And the consequences of being overwhelmingly one thing means that you are missing out on all these amazing things and that that doesn't work anymore in this day and age in this society mm. you've got no reason for doing that and I don't just mean people of color I mean class mm. I mean accents I mean disabilities I mean mm-hmm. people being able to be sexuality and spectrum it's still like turning a tank mm. you know it's it's the change feels so vast from where mm-hmm. I was in 2007 um but like compared to kind of now I think you can kind of see it from the fact that I'm literally having a conversation with you with a head wrap mm-hmm. and the fact that Zadie Thrid is able to kind of like have you know yeah. wear a head wrap and, and it's yeah. not kind of seen as um some kind of protest um yeah. or anything else it's just this is as it is it, mm. it there is there is a lot of shift but that doesn't mean that we can be complacent. And I think we can still be well-intentioned, but still getting it wrong in a lot mm. of ways. Mm. 
Mm. And we have to, we do have to kind of, we have to think about that. We have to take those reflections on board. We have to say, okay, why and wherefore and how are we, how are we going to do that better? Because, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if we had things like that, then controversies around publications like American Dad may not have happened. Mm. Um, because there's mm. in the room. And I'll give an example. I remember having a conversation with um, an editor about the cover of the book, and it was for a black character. And they put um, a, a person on there who was very light skinned and had straight edges. I opened up the cover and I just went, no. <laughs> the hot comb was not invented until such and such time. There is no mm-hmm. way that her edges would be straight. There's no way her edges would be laid. Her nose is too thin. Um, uh, like she is meant to be mixed race, but she's she's very. But the mixed race spectrum comes in a very wide array mm. from mm. light skinned, white presenting to, mm-hmm. you know, Barack Obama is mixed race. Mm. he is much much darker than I am mm-hmm. and I was like this person has very much been positioned mm. as this on the spectrum and you can't just shove any old kind of person on this cover mm-hmm. because that's the white version of what mixed race looks like mm. from the language she describes herself in these terms and that needs to be reflected mm. and I will say they came back and they took all of that on board and they changed the cover Mm. but that's that's the point that you do need to have people in the room or someone to say well this is clearly this doesn't make sense because there's so many instances where you walk around and you see marketing you see billboards and you think was there no one in the room yes there wasn't no there wasn't there wasn't anyone in the room but we came to the journey with the pepsi commercial i was like was there anyone in the room i mean who was in that room is of more the question to speak of a position <laughs> yeah. to speak but that's the other thing like I'm I'm able I was yeah. able to be like yeah. no I can just go forward True. now and say you can't do that yes. would I have been able to do that seven years before I've had that mm. conversation I don't know you know mm. I'm, I do have the privilege of my position to be able to speak up and say come on guys like mm-hmm. no that's not you, that's not how we're represented that's not what we do mm. um be mm. like think a bit wider but but I would I would also say that there is I am privileged to be mm. able to do that because mm. I'm at a certain space in my career where I'm able to have that conversation without fearing repercussions or yeah. fearing how I'm going to come across I can just be like you know but it's it's also um I take that that that's you feel like that's your privilege there's also then if you're in a, a maybe a more assistant a, a lower level position there's also a difference in having more people that look like you in the room or have the same references as you in the room so that you can feel that privilege as well or just feel a little bit safer to be able to say something and I think that's also part of why we need to have more people in these roles and in these rooms because you can't be the only person in there all the time I would agree um, I wanted to ask you, what type of person do you think is suited to a career as a literary agent? Oh, what an excellent question. Um, I think you have to have a deep level of empathy. Mm-hmm. Deep, deep, deep level of empathy. Um, I think you need to be able to know how to navigate, to see, to rise above what people want and see what people need. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be a fearless negotiator. Mm. I think you have to be unafraid of discussions around money. If money makes you uncomfortable in your life, don't be an agent. <laughs> because it's people's livelihoods. Yeah. It's their ability to pay the bills. It's mm-hmm. their ability to take care of their families. If you're like, I don't know if I want to have more. I don't know if I can ask. Just ask. Mm. Um, you know, there have been moments when I have said, no, I want this. And then put the phone down and been like, <laughs> you are joking me. You money grubber <laughs> but that's my job mm. and the my the way I caveat is that people can say no yeah no course. one has to do anything like they, they don't have to pay that they can say no that's too much you can say fine I'm gonna go out well you know there's a whole kind of pull and fish there mm. um you have to have a deep level of I think responsibility I take the I don't always take myself seriously, but I do mm-hmm. take the job very seriously because mm-hmm. this is someone's dreams that you're holding in your hands. Mm-hmm. It's someone's like career that you're holding in their hands. Mm-hmm. If you say go, t- go right, they'll go right. If you say go left, they'll go left. If, mm-hmm. if you say we need to step back and do this, you know, I mean, the, the level of trust that's employed to you 
is immense. So you've got to be really responsible with that. And mm. um, and I think it's going to be someone who to make a really good agent. I think you need to boundaries. Mm-hmm. I think you need to know how to be boundaries. Boundaries with yourself. Boundaries mm-hmm. with your clients. Boundaries in terms of your emotional resilience. Mm. Um, it's a very all-consuming job. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount where I don't want it to be personally, professionally. Mm. It can mess you up if you don't have a strong sense of self and boundaries and not being defined by what, what it is that you do, mm-hmm. but with without losing the love of what it is that you do. Mm. And being able to see the difference between your client's success and your and as their success, mm. not your own. Mm. I mean, I always try to say that I'm talent adjacent. <laughs> Because yeah. the truth is that, you know, people might say, oh, you're great. I'm like, I'm as good as my clients. Mm, mm. I, I, I am lucky and privileged enough to work with a calibre of authors. Mm-hmm. Yes, I might have seen something in them and they might have seen something within me and da 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 But fundamentally, it's them doing the excellence mm. and I am helping them to achieve that. Mm-hmm. But they're the names that will be remembered, not mine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the deal that I signed up for. There's currently a lot of conversation of, uh, agents and editors leaving the industry um mm. is there I don't know if there's ever have ever been a point where you've seriously considered shifting careers I know you've you know talked a little bit about um considering what else there would be but is there anything that you could offer out to agents that are currently within the industry that feel a bit um overwhelmed or whatever it is uh was there a point that you felt that way and something that helped you get past it (laughs) so many I did a a keynote for the society of publishers last year um and it was supposed to be like this conversation about you know being successful I was like I didn't feel successful I feel like I lucked out on so many things because I almost quit so many times and I talked about all the times I almost quit and the things that kind of stopped me yeah and um I think I think people are leaving in droves in different industries at the moment because everyone's mm. had a period yes. to reassess. Yeah. And I think sometimes publishing has asked far too much of the people mm. within it mm. without giving enough back. There has been, in my opinion, a bit of an attitude in the industry for a very, very long time, which is, well, you should be quite grateful to be here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's been reflected sometimes in pay scales and the lack of transparency about pay scales the promotions and everything else it's like you know but you know you come into publishing because you love it and so if you love it you basically put up with anything and I think that people have gone oh, yeah, actually no no um and so I, as any industry you're having to think about work practices and okay well are we doing that because it's the best thing for our employees or are we just doing that because that's the way it's always been done mm-hmm. and I think far too many of those questions can be answered with the latter and I think that um a lot of people have gone I'm not going to wait for you mm-hmm. I'm going to go in and preserve my mental health or go and achieve something else somewhere else that's going to value me more mm. so I think we need to have a better reckoning with that I was very lucky to work for an agency that made me feel very valued and gave mm-hmm. me space to mm. thrive mm. um without you know pinning demands on me that felt extraneous considering the massive demands that were put on all of us collectively mm-hmm. as a nation and mm-hmm. um due to the pandemic so I think that's part of it and yes I've wanted to quit many times because it's really 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 hard being an agent mm. I've wanted to quit because I felt like I wasn't doing well enough because I didn't feel like I fit because I, you know, I just I kept comparing myself to other people and thinking that they mm. were all brilliant um and through a various series of luck and support and good people and who managed to find me opportune times and turn me around I didn't Mm. but I think there's always a part of me that's like oh you know kind of how sustainable is this because it Mm -hmm. does require so much Mm. the truth is as my husband keeps saying is like you can't do anything else because you'll walk into a bookshop one day and you'll just start pontificating and <laughs> and he's right I will you mm. know I, uh, the connection for me in books is still very visceral and very real mm. actually that's what I would say 
whenever I feel like feeling adrift, mm-hmm. feeling a bit lost, feeling a lack of connection, I think to myself, what is it about this role that centers you? Mm-hmm. What is it that you know you're good at? And cleave back to that. Mm. And so sometimes that will mean I don't do meetings and I just go back to the drawing board and it's just authors and books, authors and books, mm. looking at submissions, reading really widely, talking to like creative writing classes, like thinking about kind of like initiatives and schemes around mm-hmm. finding authors. And I don't go to drinks and I don't go to the parties and I don't go to the publishing stuff. I just, I really draw it back to the fundamentals, which is just the books. And mm. I go and have meetings with authors and I my authors and I'll have coffees and teas and I'll re-establish that connection and mm-hmm. try and get that back. Mm. Um, and just be very kind of editorial because that, that for me is my grounding, mm-hmm. is the, the author. That's okay. why I'm in it. Mm. the author and the words Mm. and everything else is secondary and you know important but it's not the connection Mm -hmm. and once I start to feel that connection come back then Mm -hmm. that always centers me and that then then good things tend to happen Mm -hmm. and I it's taken me time to be clear with myself about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at mm. and to try and orient myself more towards the things that I am good at and not allowing myself to try and expand into things that I might be tempted to which I know isn't something that I would thrive in mm-hmm. but I think that's what I would say like find your connection points mm. and if you can't find any connection points and you can't find any support then it might be time to have a conversation with yourself and think mm. about what what you want out of life and whether or not this is the space and place in which to give it to you. It's not a failure to leave mm-hmm. publishing. That's a very publishing thing, mm. which is like, why would you want to do anything else? People leave jobs and pivot all the time. All the time, yeah. It's ridiculous. You don't have to be one thing for the rest of your life. What, mm. what, what, what is this, the 1950s? <laughs> like, of course, you can change and chop and move around and, mm. and try something else. And maybe that will bring you back in a different capacity, in a better capacity, mm-hmm. or maybe you mm-hmm. won't. Maybe you'll find something that you also really love. You mm. also that, and that would be great. Mm. Um, I haven't found anything else. You want to know why I'm still an agent? I haven't found anything else that <laughs> I love as much. That's why. That's why mm. I'm still in this. I just want to end on two questions. Um, one, what did it mean for you to win Bookseller 2021 Literary Agent of the Year? And <laughs> two, uh, which is the question I always end on, what is your favourite thing about being an agent? Um, I did not expect to win. I mm-hmm. um, was really thrilled to be nominated, really thrilled to be nominated. Yeah. And I remember saying to someone, an editor, was like, I'm so glad to be nominated and I won't win. And actually I feel great about that. <laughs> feel great about it because I can just go and be fun and I can have all the fun <laughs> having to think about anything else and when they told me I won I was like are you joking <laughs> I was like are you sure I was like are you well genuinely I went through it I was like really really are you well are you well what are you talking about <laughs> what and afterwards when the shot fell down I cried I sat in my hallway and I burst into tears and I was devastated I was really, really upset. I was really upset. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You, This is something you've always wanted and you're like upset? Uh I said, yeah, because I'm not there yet. I'm not the version of myself Uh I thought I would be when I won this award. I'm not an incredibly confident grand you know, establishment. I'm sitting here like ordering Sainsbury's and thinking about the fact that our kid won't eat it broccoli unless it's mashed up into a risotto and I haven't sold this book and I'm worried about this client and I was like I'm not there I'm not the version of this thing that I thought I'd be when I got this it's like it's just it's too early it's too early <laughs> um wow and he was like you're an absolute he's like no white male would ever think this <laughs> 
They wouldn't. And that is like, this is the issue. And I was yeah. like, please don't start on the reasons why white men are at the top of the tree. <laughs> <laughs> because they, because of, because of so politely African, but these things don't occur to them. I was like, I'm not ready for that, for that discussion. Um, but I, um, but I did. And then afterwards I thought to myself, okay, I'm not going to define myself by my achievements. I define myself by my mm. choices. And mm. I think, it's amazing to have it's a lovely totem whenever I feel crap I look at I'm like okay you did do something right at some point mm-hmm. I remember going through like the application being like did I lie anywhere <laughs> did anyone lie anywhere on this um I was like no it was true and I was like you know what it's a thing and you did it but it's not you it's not who you are mm-hmm. like it's something that you've done but it's not who I am mm. and um I have it at home I have it in my dining room actually mm-hmm. um my colleagues like why don't you bring it in and I was like I don't want to and I thought it, it looks so good and I was like no because I like I it's it, it's the thing that happens that's great and it sits on a bookshelf full of all of my authors oh that's nice and whenever I look at it I'm like it's there it's in the middle surrounded yeah. by all of their books and mm. I was like it 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 feels like it's the achievement of those sources mm-hmm. that I happened to have the privilege to caretake mm. and I was like that's the right way around for me yeah I want it because of the people I work with so it should stay with the people I work with that's so nice that's so, so that beautiful felt that way um and I guess the, my favorite thing about being an agent well there's two things there's the moment when you read something that you've worked on and it's uh I'm a former smoker so forgive me for, for the nicotine thing but when you smoke people like it's disgusting it's like mm, you almost just haven't got to be good but yeah when you like smoke there's a moment where like it's disgusting and disgusting and then there's a click there's a click where like the nicotine hits the bloodstream and your body just goes and suddenly put um, on a lot of people to smoking by that description like, go back is it go back is the hypnosis tape but it's it's that kind of moment and your body just goes mm. yeah that is so good <laughs> cancer what and and <laughs> like it is that moment and that it's the click I call it the click mm. there's that moment where you're you've read something and you're like I don't know if this book are they gonna do it I don't know if they're gonna do it maybe what I'm asking them is too much and then I, the pen goes down I start reading it and I'm like the click happens mm. and it, it, I can feel my body just go yeah they did it oh my god that's so good and then you just sink down into it and it's just like done mm. and then the second part that I love is the call oh. the call where you're like so it's it's when and who not it mm. and every time they are blubbery and flabbergasted and <laughs> overwhelmed. And it's like you told them they won the lottery. And it, it yeah. is such a, to, to be like, it's here. The moment mm-hmm. you've worked for, the moment you've dreamt of, mm-hmm. the moment that you have fantasized about, it's here. Mm. Never what you think it looks like, but it's here. Mm. And I'm able to give it to you. It's just, it's absolutely, it's phenomenal. And then everything from there is, is kind of, you know, a variation of the same but those mm. are like the two moments and you go you've done it yeah you've done it it's here it's here is, go ride with it is the call the same for someone who's publishing their first and someone who's publishing their second third fourth is it the same level only if you may publishes um, because then it's like yes. you know or if it's a kind of a pivot mm-hmm. but I think like those moments where you're like the dream is here mm. Mm. here you go it's phenomenal I just I'm always really proud to be part of that Mm. really proud to be part of that and okay can I just say my last one Mm. it's seeing a book in the wild yeah oh yeah oh my god the amount of like whenever you get on like a tv and you can from the corner of eye you spot (laughs) it down and oh you're like that one and I I'm always I mean I take every ounce of myself not to get up and walk over and be like hey because I'm like what would you say I'm the agent for this they'd be like what's an agent so (laughs) what did you edit it it'd be like okay but you didn't write it okay can you leave me alone now absolutely weirdo so there's like there's nothing that I can say but I know they kind of look like sometimes people give like a look because I'm like kind of like 
smiling. And um, he's like, you're not Elizabeth Day. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, he's white. Stop looking at me. But you know what I mean? It's that kind of moment where you do it and you're like, oh my God. You could flip so, to, I'm sure you're in the acknowledgements of all your authors. You oh could, yeah, let me just, you could. Sorry, let me just take that book and just run <laughs> to the end. Here's let my idea. Scale through all of the, um, oh yeah, so this is me. This these two words here. This is be why me. I'm grinning like an idiot on the train. Oh, okay, great. I'll go back to the book now. I mean, Jenny was like, no, <laughs> so I find that, um, but oh, that moment. So nice. And I'll usually text the author and be like, if you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sarika Thanandra Dharamu, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.